The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit Radio Beats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. When we last left you on impeachment news, the House had passed two articles of impeachment against President Trump. That night, back in mid-December, the expectation was that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi would then appoint impeachment managers and send the articles off to the Senate. It turns out that's not exactly what happened. We're not sending it tonight because it's difficult to determine who the managers would be until we see the arena in which we will be uh, participating. Pelosi has held the articles for more than three weeks. In that time, seeking guarantees about the scope of a Senate trial. She's insisted that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell release rules of a trial before the articles are transmitted. And for weeks, it's been unclear when or even if she'd transmit the articles to the Senate at all. No, I'm not holding them indefinitely. I'll send them over when I'm ready. And that will probably be soon. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell wouldn't budge either. With regard to getting the papers, it is a rule of impeachment in the Senate that we must receive the papers. It continues to be my hope that the Speaker will send them on over. Uh, The House argued that this was an emergency. They needed to act uh, quickly. And then they sat on the papers now for three weeks. Then, after weeks of this standoff between Pelosi and McConnell, on Friday, Pelosi announced that the House next week will, finally, consider a resolution to appoint impeachment managers and send the articles to the Senate. But of course, nothing is a sure thing until it happens. So must the House transmit the articles at all, and why has Pelosi held them thus far? What leverage for the makeup of the Senate trial has been gained or lost by Democrats and Republicans? And what's Trump's role in shaping his own trial? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency and what happens when branches of government collide. I'm Allison Michaels. I caught up with The Post's congressional reporter, Karin Demersion, to break this down for me. And I started by asking her whether Speaker Pelosi is required to turn the articles over to the Senate or can she hold them indefinitely, a.k.a. can she do that? Apparently she can do that. Um, (laughs) I don't know that it's politically wise to hold them indefinitely because the House made its argument for charging through this impeachment, um, saying that these are urgent concerns that they have to resolve before the next election. And so that kind of contradicts what's happening right now. If if, if this lasts forever and, and, and she chooses never to actually send them to the Senate, the argument Democrats have, of course, is that they want the fair trial with witnesses. The GOP says that's not your business. We can run things as we want in the Senate. But Yeah, apparently she can do this for as long as she wants to, and we'll see what other train wrecks that causes if it goes on for too much longer. So given that she can do this, can we talk about why she would do this? Well, her argument for doing this has been that she wants to guarantee that there's a fair trial procedure once things get to the Senate, that there will actually be witnesses that are heard, that they will actually consider all the evidence. There has been a push from the Senate GOP leader, Mitch McConnell, not to have witnesses, although he says that he will hold votes. You know, as things go on, they just have to get started. And also his argument is that it's really none of your business how we run business in the Senate. We didn't tell you how to do things in the House. Or even if we opined on it on TV or something like that, we couldn't actually control how you do things in the House. So just give us the articles. Let us do our job. Your time is done. But Pelosi controls a lot of power in Congress. She controls these articles right now. And it seems like Democrats, even those who have started to cross her and say this is kind of taking too long, it's not a great idea anymore, 
are just doing about faces and backing her up and kind of deferring to her wisdom. She's the only keeper of the time clock right now. There was speculation that it might be this week. It clearly did not happen this week. But uh, as we look at the calendar, you know, the primaries are coming up. The caucuses are coming up. The president is also due for a State of the Union address at the beginning of next month. Things are coming up that may determine when she chooses to release them and at what point the Senate will be in the trial when those things happen. And for the last several weeks, Pelosi had said that she wanted to see the rules before choosing impeachment managers or before transmitting the articles. I know there's not a ton of precedent when it comes to impeachments in history, but how unusual would it be for the House to actually see trial rules before the articles have been sent to the Senate? Well, this is the thing, right? In the past, there have been opening votes taken that led you into the impeachment process, but there was also kind of a handshake deal going on at the same time where you kind of knew the, the, the course that the trial would take. I mean, that that's that's your Clinton precedent. And then if to find another trial precedent, you have to go all the way back to Johnson. And that's, mm-hmm. that's in the 1860s. And so there really isn't like a hard and fast way that this is done. There's the rules for how the senators have to govern themselves during the trial. There are the, the constitutional directions for how an impeachment is done and on what grounds. And other than that, it's kind of, you know, not make it up as you go along, really, but make it up as you can agree to do it, slash have the 51 votes to force the issue as things go forward in the Senate. And so there's not a ton of precedent here that you can say is exactly equated to what we're seeing right now. I mean, this whole impeachment, frankly, looks a little bit different than than the impeachments past. Every impeachment does because there's only been three of them that have gotten mm-hmm. to a trial. And so and so that's why you know people are are, are choosing different parts of the precedent to make their case. You know, was there an understanding out there back in the 90s? Yeah. But was there a formal vote to actually start things going before you actually address the questions of witnesses in a formal context? Yes, that is also true. So each side can kind of find something that they want to hinge their argument on when in truth, really, they are kind of just, you know, agreeing on the rules of the game as far as the Constitution does not specify, as far as the Senate rules do not specify, they are agreeing on all the other rules of the game as they go. So theoretically, when would the Senate rules actually be set? Do they have to be voted on by the Senate at a certain time? This is, you know, the Senate can set the rules for the trial. You would think that it would be once they have the articles for impeachment. Although at this point, McConnell is saying that he wants to change, potentially change the rules of the Senate so that they can actually uh, vote on the impeachment question without actually having received the articles from the House. At the same time, the House has to have a vote to name the impeachment managers to send the articles over. This is kind of the, the, the rub of the argument, though, which is that which one is going to go first and who wants a guarantee from whom? And I think traditionally it's been that, you know, articles need to move from the House to the Senate. Then the Senate starts its job and does its thing. But Pelosi has been leveraging her whole withholding of the articles on the idea that she wants to see these rules first before she actually lets them go. This is becoming more of a, a battle of wills, really, than a battle of written rules and is going to basically end up being a political question of who feels like have more leverage to act. Does Pelosi feel like she can continue to hold, withhold these articles until she gets a guarantee Maybe not so much after McConnell has shored up the support, and he has. He does have the 51 votes he needs to proceed. So that's kind of the headbutting that's going on here. And part of Pelosi's position in the standoff had been that she wanted to ensure a fair trial in the Senate. But can you elaborate what she meant by that exactly? What would a fair trial look like to her? To Democrats, a fair trial is making sure that they go through the a full roster of witnesses that the Democrats want to hear from who were not part of the House's process. It's both considering the House's record and the evidence that came up and any new evidence that's come up since then, but also 
uh, hearing from people like Mick Mulvaney, hearing um, from others that were subpoenaed as part of the House's process who never showed up because the White House said kind of blanket rule, nobody's supposed to go and, and participate, though some people from the State Department and the National Security Council did. And so they want to guarantee that there is some sort of subpoena put out there. John Bolton has indicated that he's willing to testify now. They want him to be part of the process as well. And so they think that the trial will not be fair if there are no witnesses who are from Trump's inner circle who could corroborate some of these findings that the House had. Um, that that is a requirement to have a, a fair process. And the Republican, at least the Republican leader's argument has been, no, that is not necessary. We can do it just fine based on the record that you gave us since you guys did so many weeks of an inquiry yourselves and have written up that. And, and we saw it happen in public, frankly, in front of the House Intelligence and Judiciary Committees. As part of that, Pelosi has said that she doesn't want to send impeachment managers into an environment she doesn't fully know what it will look like. Do you, first, can you just remind us of what an impeachment manager is supposed to do? An impeachment manager is basically making the case for uh, the House. Because, the, look, if the Senate is the courtroom and the senators are the jury and you have John Roberts coming in to be the presiding judge and then the president and his legal team being the defense, the House is basically the prosecution. And so they're presenting the case, making the argument of why they think that this impeachment should be upheld and should lead to a conviction in the Senate. Do we have any insight into who these impeachment managers might be? I mean, there's been names tossed around. There's no final list that's been put out there. I think it's a pretty safe bet to assume that Pelosi will deputize um, Adam Schiff, who's the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, as one of the impeachment managers since he has played such an outsized role in in seeing this inquiry through. He, he knows the subject matter the best of anybody since he built it basically from scratch. Um, other than that, there have been various names tossed around from people in leadership. I, I think the final list depends on how many people they want to, to put out there. I think there were over a dozen impeachment managers during the Clinton trial. They could go with a smaller number. I think that as we are seeing now, though, you know, with the fact that Pelosi has been the one making the judgment call about when to send the the articles of impeachment, whoever ends up being named to that team is, is going to be taking their direction very closely from the speaker or at least coordinating very, very acutely with her. Now, we've witnessed the standoff between Pelosi and McConnell in the Senate but I want a better understanding of whether or not House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer have the same vision for what they want out of a Senate trial. I mean, I think for the most part, they do, right? They are in the same alignment of they want to have witnesses be part of this trial. They want to have it be a complete proceeding. They want to have no corners cut in terms of evidence being presented or people coming forward under subpoena to say what they knew. I think just in terms of strategists, though, Pelosi and Schumer are very different people. I think Schumer was kind of sounding a little bit earlier this week, like maybe he thought it was time to, you know, give up the fight about the articles of impeachment, given that McConnell announced and, and has the necessary number of votes to start this process rolling. But Pelosi clearly doesn't really agree with him. So it was, you know, it was a kind of question of, you know, who is creating room for who? Because Pelosi and Schumer do act sometimes like a tag team, right? I mean, they, they are working towards common objectives of policy, common objectives on what they think should happen with this impeachment trial. They have a Chuck and Nancy nickname from the president. They've got the Chuck and Nancy <laughs> nickname from the president, exactly. But, but I mean, look, they're the leaders of the Democratic Party. But who wields more power at what time is often a question, right? And Schumer is a minority leader. Pelosi is the majority leader, the, the, the speaker, but the head of the majority in the House. And so at this point, she's the one who has the leverage. And at this point, it seems that she's the one who has the power to power play to make. How powerful it is, though, once the Senate votes are all counted is an open question. And I think right now, it's not clear that the two of them are necessarily coordinating in lockstep. 
about withholding these articles and how to play this interim period where they have to pass it off from one of them to the other to to make the party's case. All right, let's pivot to the Republicans. Do we know what McConnell's primary interests are in the Senate trial? What are the key things he's considering or trying to leverage here? There are a few things McConnell has to do. He has to go through the process of letting the prosecution and the defense state their cases, which can take several days each. He has to go through the process of deciding whether the senators are each going to be allowed to you know, make speeches about their impression of the findings toward the end. He has to manage the process of them sending questions up to be asked of the, the, the various sides of the case. And he has to keep the Republicans together when it comes to sustaining what he thinks is the prudent way of doing this, which is to not let these uh, votes for witnesses actually succeed so that you don't end up having new evidence being presented. But the more this standoff goes on between the House and the Senate, it seems like the more comfortable senators are getting with this rallying around the idea of, you know, we've been waiting long enough. The president is being denied a fair trial and stating publicly that their sympathies are with Trump in this one. That has brought criticism on them because, of course, to be jurors in an impeachment trial, senators have to take an additional oath, pledging to be impartial. And clearly, lawmakers are not impartial. Like, there's no, there's probably no senator in the Senate that is actually impartial about this. But, you know, how willing they are to kind of go through the steps that say, okay, this is as complete and as full a trial as we can possibly stage for the American public. The patience is wearing thin. Pelosi and McConnell are extremely well-matched in terms of being adversaries who know how to count people in their own caucus and wield leverage, both in terms of punishments and favors and everything else like that. What sort of risks is McConnell trying to control for in the Senate trial? Look, I think that he is dealing with the same things that he's dealing with all the time, which is that there are a number of Republicans in the Senate who are up for re-election in states that are not necessarily firmly in the GOP's camp, that may be kind of tinted blue or at least swing states. And he's dealing with people that have you know, not crossed him in terms of his plans for the procedures of what they want to follow, but said that they thought it was inappropriate for him to be speaking in a way that sounded so biased in favor of the president, especially since he's the senior most member of the Senate who's supposed to be, you know, not presiding over the trial, technically speaking, but but managing how this actually goes forward. So, you know, when he's looking at the moderates in his in his caucus, as well as the people that are running for re-election in swing states, as well as the more senior kind of traditionalists in the GOP who might not take that kindly to something that feels rushed. He's not worried about having them all to move on to the trial. I think that's pretty solid that he's got that. But I think he's worried about them saying, well, why shouldn't we hear from John Bolton? I mean, why shouldn't we subpoena him? And the thing is that when you're talking about an impeachment, all these things are kind of privileged. He doesn't have the same control over the floor that he would in a normal policy fight, right? So if you get 51 senators, I mean, they're crowing right now about having 51 or maybe all 53 Republicans on board to get going with this impeachment trial. But you lose four of them and all of a sudden you've got 51 senators backing a subpoena for a witness who's then probably going to show up and say things that might be very damaging to the president, and then you kind of lose control over the narrative. The GOP has figured out how to control the narrative with the evidence that is on the table at this point. They do not necessarily have that much control if more stuff gets put on the table, especially since the more stuff is likely going to come from people who are closer to the president and would have more firsthand knowledge and potentially be able to give fairly damning testimony if it corroborates some of the more explosive findings that came out of the House's process. Then given all of McConnell's considerations, how does his vision for the trial differ from Trump's vision? Hmm. Well, McConnell is a person who does not show emotion, a person who holds his cards to his chest, a strategist almost dry in terms of how he 
uh, deals with his approach to doing things. And Trump is the polar opposite. He opines on Twitter. He's impulsive. He says things. And he also is not somebody who is good with kind of keeping things calm. He kind of wants a show. And so the president has been over the last several weeks saying things like, you know, I want the whistleblower to testify or Hunter Biden, you know, um, calling on – there's a tug of war right now about whether some of his allies in the House, Trump's GOP allies in the House, should be really part of his defense team and should be making the case there because they're some of the greatest attack dogs that, that he has, in, in, in generally speaking, uh, versus like Jim Jordan, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, Matt Gates' crew, basically, who do make a fairly – you know, who, who are good at the public messaging in terms of messaging to Trump's base, and, and, and Trump finds them to be very loyal. And so he thinks that they would be – very well equipped to make that case in the Senate as opposed to his more standard lawyerly legal team. And so that's a potential collision course. But at the same token, I mean, it seems like the president, to some extent, does trust McConnell's advice, even if it's a little bit difficult to get to the point where, okay, he's a, he's comfortable with it. He has publicly said that he's going to defer to Mitch, even though he keeps expressing his opinions. But it does appear, I mean, you know, that, that there is conversation there. There is some extent of coordination. And he has at least acknowledged at various times that McConnell knows the Senate better than he does. And, you know, McConnell is just not the type of person who's going to say, OK, let's just have a show for fun because he wants to have that control. Thinking about the bigger picture, is it unusual for the Senate to work so directly with the president and considering what the rules of a trial into the president's own conduct would look like? I mean, look, impeachments are unusual. So, yes, it's unusual to have the Senate coordinating with the White House and coordinating with the president to set the terms of the trial that will judge his fate of whether or not he gets to stay president. But but this is also unusual politically, which is that, you know, in, in the 90s, Clinton is a Democrat, but the Republicans are in charge of the Senate. So if there's any coordination happening, it's between Clinton and the defense, which, you know, Clinton or, or the people who might be sympathetic to the defense, which kind of Clinton is doing the defense, right? It's not it's not that he said uh, that they were setting the rules of the game in a way where the White House had undue control because it was the opposite party. And now you've got those roles switched and you have the same party running the trial as you have in the White House. So that's part of why. This is such a strange situation. Yes, you can argue that objectively speaking, we should be taking parties out of this, that impeachments are something where you're supposed to be talking about a fight between the branches. But that just hasn't been how politics in this country has worked for a very long time. All right. Then my final question to you, Karin, if ultimately the articles were held because Pelosi wanted to ensure a fair trial in the Senate, has it worked? She will have won a minor political victory, which is that you will have the president probably still going through impeachment when he gives the State of the Union address, which is a much more difficult position for him to be in than if he were just doing a victory lap at that point. And she will have also won, again, minor substantive victories, which is that we've seen new emails come out. We've seen John Bolton say that he's willing to testify. Those are those are new things that are out there to corroborate the case or potentially corroborate the case in the case of Bolton's testimony that the Democrats made. And so there. It's not a winless pause that she orchestrated here, but if it goes on for too much longer, she's going to lose total control. And it does not seem like the Democrats are behind her enough for her to keep this going. But we're in a zone where the, the GOP is almost out of patience, and it seems the Democrats are losing patience too. So this has to kind of close the gap at some point really soon. All right. Well, we will stick to your reporting to find out what happens next. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? 
If you want to get more news about impeachment, you can now subscribe to a new podcast feed from The Washington Post. All of our audio updates on impeachment in one place, including the latest from Can He Do That, Post Reports, and The Daily 202's Big Idea. Updated whenever news happens. Subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the delightful Carol Alderman and Ariel Plotnick, with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.